0: Take action, block out the noise and better yourself. The social media, a lot of it's, a lot of it is hype and a lot of it is not genuine. Find people who are actually doing this stuff who are where you want to be. And you'll level up and block out the noise.
1: Welcome to the real estate monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Michael Ketchin is the founder of Commonwealth Collective. Founded in 2016, his real estate investment company currently owns and operates residential and commercial rental properties in Maine and New Hampshire. Michael's success speaks for itself. He's had his fair share of challenges, and he's had great success in the real estate industry thus far. But before becoming a real estate investor, Michael worked in education.
0: An owner and founding member of Commonwealth Collective LLC, along with Matthew Hitchcock and my wife Hannah Ketchin. But prior to that, I was in education and business sales uh, for 10 years. Loved education, did a special ed teacher, was an administrator. And then from there, I kind of got burnt out. And here we are in the real estate investing space.
1: Michael came to real estate because he was burnt out by his educational career, he wanted to find an alternative path. His search for something more led him to bigger pockets. And what was supposed to start with a house flip developed into something greater.
0: It kind of it ties into my why and um, kind of what we wanted. Uh, I was working in a very tough uh, urban school in Massachusetts. We had actually turned around the school. We, we had accomplished our mission, if you will. And they were looking to kind of redesign again and scale it. And I was burnt out. Um, I was the dean of students. I was in charge of the data, the discipline, um, the attendance and we had hit our mission, but I was tired. We were looking for something else to do. And I stumbled across this little site. I'm sure everyone's talked about bigger pockets and kind of one thing led to the other. We were supposed to just flip a house. That's what everyone says. You're going to flip a house. And on our very first deal, I made double, um, (laughs) what I made uh, at my yearly job. And I looked at my wife and uh, our partner, Matt, and I said, "Uh, this is what we're doing from now on. And it's kind of rolled from there.
1: At the beginning of his real estate investing career, Michael was surrounded by people who tried to push him from implementing certain strategies he'd learned about. It was a struggle to overcome these doubts and get his first real estate deals across the finish line.
0: I remember, you know, our very first deal, for example, we did a cash out refinance or a refi enrollers. It's also called a burr. And you know, when we first were looking, we looked at over 100 properties and we said, man, maybe we're not going to find a deal. We were being super conservative. I look back now. Those numbers didn't even make any sense. But when you when you're starting, you know, you think you do. You think you know, yeah, you, you know, seventy percent rule and fifty percent rule and all this other stuff. That as you get in this space, you realize the rules of thumb for a reason. They're not really that accurate, but they're good baselines. And literally, we finally find a property. You know, it makes sense. We drive from New Hampshire, hours in a snowstorm to Maine. We're walking this property. It's very affluent area. And remember, this is 2017. Airbnb is just becoming a thing. Like all these things we take for granted now aren't really that known. So we get it on the contract. We don't know what we're doing. Um, We reach out. Uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts at that point. That was pretty much the extent of my experience. And we're trying to run these numbers and do these things. And sure enough, uh, we decide we're going to do this burr, this cash out refinance. And every person to a man, and this is why your circle of influence is so important. And you have to have the perseverance to push through and level up that circle. Every person said, well, you can't do that. You know, that's illegal. You can't keep the property and get money back. You can't, no one does that because everyone in my circle wasn't familiar, right? So we doubted ourselves. We said, you know what? Screw this. We're going to push through. We called over a hundred banks, a hundred banks. And looking back on it, I can't believe we pulled off what we did because we finally found one lender who would count future short-term rental income. And in four months, we were able to stabilize a property, we're talking a 4,000 square foot property we still own today, and get a cash out refinance for over $100,000. And we still have that on Airbnb today. But that moment of doubt from your circle can really cripple you. You know what I mean? It's so important to be surrounded with positive problem solvers and not negative people as you're going through this.
1: When Michael came across his first multifamily deal, he had no multifamily experience. While other people might see this as a downside, for Michael, this allowed him to take action and not overthink it. However, this ability to take imperfect action also led to some speed bumps on the road to closing on the deal.
0: We were talking about before the call, networking. Um, Same exact thing. Uh, You know, our attorney, who's also my mother-in-law, she's on this week's episode of my podcast, Tell Us Why. Matter of fact, real estate attorney, very, very lucky to have her. We had done um, a flip and two Airbnbs to this point. And uh, we were actually sitting outside at their house. And she goes, hey, you think you're ready for an apartment building? And we said, of course. You know, how hard can this be? This is easy. And um, one of her clients who's now gone on to become a business partner had a 13 unit that he was trying to sell and he couldn't offload. It It was mixed use. It was two commercial and 11 um, residential. And I loved telling this story because something very pivotal happened on this story. We had no idea we were going to finance it. We had no idea we were going to manage it. We had no idea how we are going to run numbers. But the belief in the teamwork we'd established and all of our backgrounds, my background in education, I problem solved and made decisions every day. I had no idea, you know, no issue taking, you know, the bull by the horns and getting after it. Uh, my business partner, Matthew, it still really handles our marketing and our tenant relations because he comes from a sales and a business background. He has no problem, you know, things that I kind of have to solve right away and I can't ignore. He knows how to prioritize and compartmentalize what needs to be responded to. It doesn't. He's really good at that. My wife, Hannah, the third business partner, thank God for her. She is the most organized and most detail driven person in the world. So we all complimented each other. And then most importantly, the pivotal moment. So we get into this thing and the way we financed it, we had no idea what we we're going to do. We needed to come up with more money than I could wrap my brain around at the time. Uh, I think it was 20% down on a 780,000 purchase. So you're talking about 160,000. Well, I heard another podcast episode where people were doing these portfolio loans. I said, okay, well, maybe I have some more equity. The market's going up from our two Airbnbs. So we went back to the lender who had done our first two deals and they said, you know what? We'll tie all of your Airbnbs and this multifamily together. And instead of giving you a cash out, we'll put them all in the same mortgage. And just like that, we didn't have to come out of pocket with anything. The important thing that happened during this though, is I was trying to run numbers. I'm trying to figure it out. And this building 10 of the 11 residential units are studios and we're talking 300 square foot studios. These are not big units. We knew we were going to make them nice, you know, new flooring, paint, all that stuff, but the pivotal moment. And I, and I tell people, this is one of the most important things that's ever happened in my investing career is I was running numbers at six, $700 a month because I wouldn't even live there for that. So I thought that's all people would pay. And Matt Hannah and I are, are standing and Matt goes, 700 a month. I've already got ads up for this thing for 1,000 a month. And I looked at him and I go, what? And he goes, you know, you're not living here. He goes, I've already got leads. And remember, we're early on in this now. You know, now we've got you know, 150 units, four Airbnbs. It's easy looking back. But in this pivotal moment, that trust and that partnership that he had that, and that gave me the confidence to go find these. And then we have proof of concept. He delivered that building. Uh, what has it been? three and a half years of owning it, four years, it's never been vacant. And that moment, I would have left so much money on the table if I only looked through my conservative lens and didn't trust my partners and my team. Um, so So I'm really big on that because that would have cost us hundreds of thousands, you know, millions of dollars at this point. You know, so very, very pivotal moment. But yeah, that's how we kind of went through that first one.
1: Building relationships in real estate has helped Michael, and it's something he stands by. Putting himself out there and being able to solve problems has aided him in the process of building and scaling his multifamily business.
0: We talk about this a lot, and I think what gets lost in the weeds is this is a relationship business, and you have to be a problem solver. And I think the two go hand in hand. When someone's going to solve something, I tell people all the time you got one mouth and two ears. If you listen to any seller, Really, anybody you're approaching for any transaction, everything's for sale. It's just a matter of, do you want to pay what it's worth? You know, in the eye of the holder. And if you're listening to why they're selling or why they might potentially sell, and you can solve that problem, okay, by maintaining a stellar relationship, you will do well in this business. I think a lot of people overthink that and a lot of people don't understand that. So know real life example we recently closed on a seven unit um, deal that we're repositioning right now we have multiple exit strategies we might sell it we might cash out refinance etc cetera, etc cetera. we worked on it for months but we actually had to close once we went under contract in 20 days and it was because the seller was very nervous he had never sold the building he'd been a longtime landlord he's a little you know he's a little out there um, and we had to use a bunch of different tactics but then we couldn't even get into the units with the appraiser because he, he was so afraid of his tenants. He was so afraid. He didn't want them to know he was selling. So we got creative. I said, listen, I'll do this. I'll take you at your word. I'll figure it out. I went to one of my lenders. Again, relationship. We have a track record. I said, I can't get the appraiser until we close. I, I'm going to budget enough for my worst case scenario. I've done plenty of these heavy value add buildings. What can we do? They came back to me and said, okay, here's what we can do. You have to bring another $75,000 to close that we're going to hold in escrow. The appraisal will get in there right after you close. And if everything you say checks out, we'll release the funds back. In the event it doesn't check out, we'll hold that escrow. I said, sure, we'll do it. We did it. Everything checked out. We got the funds back. But you're solving multiple problems and you're only bringing solutions. You're not bringing more problems and you're listening. And that's a huge, huge thing that I tell people, your reputation, I, I will. I will sweep floors. I'll go back to work. I'll do whatever I have to do before I lose a dime of someone else's money or damage my reputation. Because money comes and goes, your reputation, you only get one shot at it. And uh, you have to be mindful of that in this business, especially.
1: Any business relationship is going to take time to build. Trust is not earned overnight, and investors like Michael know this. That's why it's important to have certain systems in place to make sure you're intentional with reaching out to people and nurturing those connections that can lead to opportunity in the future. While it's important to be authentic and genuine when you reach out to someone, a system can help you remember to stay in touch with them, as well as make outreach more efficient.
0: The things that I'm mindful of is, um, believe it or not, a little tip I use. I actually like to pre-schedule messages just for follow-up. One thing I'll do is I'll pre-schedule a message. Perfect example, before this call, I met a gentleman who's out out in real estate and is an investor out in California. We just met in Boise, Idaho. What a small world. I had pre-scheduled a message to him three and a half weeks ago to go out this morning because I wanted him to remember that I said we were going to connect. So that's just a little technology tip. On the personal side, the biggest tip I try to tell people is try to be respectful of where people are at in their business and also respect people's time and, and don't forget where you came from. Too often in this business, and I'm big on meetups, I'm big on networking, people get to, you know to a certain level and it's easy to forget that we were all somewhere once. You know what I mean? We were all starting out. We all had done one deal. We all had 10 doors. We all had 100 doors. Don't, don't look back on it with rose-colored glasses and forget that anxiety and that angst of what it's like when you're first starting. And you never know that kid you're meeting today who might be doing his first deal two years from now might be willing to partner with you in a 100-unit deal he found. And too often, you know, I came into this space. I, I grew up. I didn't have much growing up. I didn't I didn't come from a wealthy family or anything. I don't know. Maybe this is just my background. But I'm a big believer in, you know, reputations are earned, not given. And I try to add value to every conversation because you never know where that's going to go, you know what I mean? And I think too often in this business, people hit a certain point and they forget that we all started somewhere. And that's very important to me to always make time for every individual as much as I can.
1: Many investors in the multifamily space believe that smaller apartments have owners that are considered mom and pop. These owners are commonly perceived as less sophisticated and intelligent as owners of larger properties. Michael has a contrasting perspective on this demographic of investors, and he believes it is detrimental to hold this view when approaching these investors to inquire about buying their assets.
0: I'll give a real life example and I'll kind of talk about, you know, the guy we just bought the seven unit from. Let's define success, okay? All these people who might look at him in his dirty t-shirt and his guitar playing band, He's been living his why for 30 years. He realized a long time ago, he was a software engineer making a lot of money, but he wasn't doing what he wanted, which is to play in a cover band at dive bars. That's what he wanted. So he went out and found a way through property, through real estate investing. that now for 32, 33 years, he's been living life on his terms. So to the guy who's running around, I laugh all the time. You know, these guys, they're running around calling people who are syndicators, trying to get a small part of 200 doors, thinking this guy's a clown. Well, this guy's made millions of dollars living his life, waking up when he wants, and you're punching the clock at a nine to five for some other guy. So back to the point where I think a lot of times there's this misconception that people are leaving money on the table. Well, your model is not their model. If someone bought something 20 years ago, maybe they didn't raise the rents because they don't want the headaches, because they don't have a mortgage. You need to look at it through your model only and not worry about what they were doing. And what I found a lot of times is there's a lot of successful people who own business, they're entrepreneurs, they're house builders, they're you know, CPAs, doctors, you name it. And they bought real estate because someone told them it was easy and they've made so much money in their other life, they really haven't had to pay attention. A perfect example, again, real life example. We closed on a four unit last week, we're gonna flip. And turns out it has another buildable lot with it, some Yahtzee. We bought it for what the guy paid for it 10 years ago. He's never raised the rents in 10 years. So as I was listening to the problem to you know, you don't want to get too excited because I mean, you're walking into $200,000 of instant equity. Well, the reason he's never dealt with it is he lived an hour away. His wife initially bought it with her ex-husband, so he didn't like that. And he has a cement company that he's doing seven figures in revenue a year on. He doesn't have the time to worry about this four unit. He didn't want to pay a commission. He didn't want to go to the market. He wanted someone who could close cash and move fast. Is that guy an idiot? Is that guy a fool? you know, maybe in our little space, we think he is, but he's making a million dollars a year at his, at his business. I think he's doing okay. So there's all this arrogance sometimes. And I feel like people come in with this real elitist attitude. And I don't like that. Look at a deal through your lens. And if it makes sense for you, move on it. Don't judge the other person. Let me and to jump in right there too, because there's two more points to that is one, if this building was running optimal, you wouldn't be buying it because it wouldn't be a deal. And there's something to be said for leaving meat on the bone for the next guy. You know, it, it, we, bought, we bought a building uh, earlier this year, a 26 unit from a woman who's got a 100 unit portfolio. We're liquidating her over time for retirement. She walked out of the closing with a million dollars. Now, I, I can tell you on the, the spreadsheet why her return wasn't that great because she only netted so many, so much, whatever. But at the end of the day, she's still got a check for a million dollars. So, I mean, is she an idiot because she didn't maximize her NOI? I mean, Maybe. But I guarantee a lot of the keyboard you know warriors and the Twitter elite is calling her an idiot and never got a check for a million dollars. So take action, block out the noise and better yourself. The social media, a lot of it's a lot of it is hype and it, a lot of it is not genuine. Find people who are actually doing this stuff, who are where you want to be, and you'll level up and, and block out the noise.
1: Michael's business has a vertically integrated property management operation. This strategy has made the growth and scalability of his portfolio more efficient and profitable. The systems he has in place have helped ensure that Michael's entire operation runs smoothly.
0: It's about control and technology. Um, I, I honestly believe, I think we're ahead of the curve. I, I believe in the next five to seven years, um, I'm already seeing it. People are gonna wake up that uh, 100% ownership of a 40 unit building with technology gives a lot better return than, you know, a syndication where it might be 400 doors and you might be, you know, 6% equity or something like that. Um, Technology's really allowed that part of it was luck. We got lucky with the things that are coming in place, but also part of it is our background where people tend to overcomplicate this. And at the end of the day, you're running multiple businesses, but they're not that complicated on the front end. You're a customer service business, right? People get in on the back end. You're really a logistics company. You're solving problems in the most efficient way possible while also trying to maintain value long-term. So don't put a bandaid on on a solution and kick the can down the road. And you're just trying to get over that finish line. We look at everything on a 10 year hold um, and then we plan to hold longer than that. But I think anytime anyone sits here and tells you they know where the market's going, I mean, I don't think people know where the market's going to 10 years. Never mind past that point. Um, We just try to be realistic and you know, you mentioned technology. So we use things like Asana, which have been a game changer. Uh, we use a platform similar to AppFolio, like everyone else, but RentTech. And one of the reasons we went with RentTech is as an owner operator, AppFolio, a lot of the bells and whistles you were paying for, same thing with Buildium, they don't translate to us in our experience because we're the owner. We're not We're not the management company reporting out. We're we're one and the same. So a lot of it was redundant. We didn't need a lot of that, um, but they're great platforms. They just didn't work for our model. We're big on technology. Okay, We have um, a keyless entry system that also controls all of our thermostats, all of our cameras, detects water leaks, all in real time. We do that to maximize you know the, the, the inefficiencies, and we don't want to begin calls about keys at two in the morning. Uh, another big thing is we have an onboarding call center that we went and found that has a custom script. We took a lot of time up front, but now whenever we take over a building when we go through our acquisition process, That call center essentially has been prepped on every single, basically probable scenario for that building. So we don't get bothered with those calls. That call center is $35 a month. I mean, how do you, you know, it's very interesting. And to your point, one thing that's going to be coming in our business that we're excited to share, we're leveling up to some 100, 150 unit buildings now. And we are going to try our system on something of that magnitude and if it shakes out the way we believe it's going to shake out, and you know there's a lot smarter guys in the space than me, people are going to arrive at that same conclusion. And I think it's going to create opportunity. We started finding, talking about niches earlier, where when you're looking at these these deals on these offering memorandums, if you can cut the expenses down by basically going remote, like what we're trying to do, a lot of deals are going to start to pencil out that right now I'm penciling out. And that's kind of what we're trying to experiment with right now. And and I think that's going to create a lot of opportunity for a lot of aspiring uh, uh, real estate investors.
1: Michael's background in education and the adversity he faced throughout that career has prepared him for the ups and downs of real estate. As a result of his background, he's developed grit and isn't really phased by the obstacles he faces as an entrepreneur.
0: To be honest, this is easy. I don't mean to say it that way, but just compared to what I was doing previously, I mean, I, have you know, I had to deal with... You know, kids uh, happen to be the parent at home at the age of 12, you know, uh, trying to turn around, you know, get a get a get a failing school's attendance up 30, 40 percent, you know, really solving real world problems. So nothing here. I mean, I can tell you right now. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And I'm supposed to say I'm a pretty frank guy. One building we bought, there was a flood that was caused by something else. We got a tenant suing us. I mean, maybe when we first started, that would have freaked us out. Now, like it's just it's just another day. Um, we've had news. I think it's kind of funny. As I mentioned, I grew up, you know, I love real estate because it really gives wealth creation. And I'm trying to re, you know, kind of live life on my terms uh, for those, for myself and my loved ones. And I watched my mother work two jobs and raise three boys as a single parent. Now I got local newspapers writing, you know, hit pieces on us as the evil landlords. I'm like, well, wait a minute, how'd this turn around so quick? You know, and um, it's kind of funny, but to be honest, man, yeah, there's been stuff in the moment. But if you if you don't make an emotional decision, if you this is where your team is so important. I'm going to emphasize it again. And I'm going to give so much credit. I'm going to continue to give credit to my team, to Matt, to Hannah, uh, to the people we've added, um, You know, uh, uh, the people that have come on as operation managers for us, to our attorney, my mother-in-law, to my CPA, to my insurance guy, your team. Because your team isn't just the people you own the building with. It's the people who you're executing the plan with. If you surround yourself with positive problem-solving people and you don't, react emotionally. That's probably my biggest piece of advice is it's very hard to not personalize this stuff. That's something I struggle with. I'm a very intense, emotional guy. I've gotten better at it, um, but I'm still not perfect. That just think logically. And this this is not that complicated. Everything can be solved. To be successful in this business, you need to be a problem solver, or I believe you will not be that successful in this space.
1: Michael has emphasized the importance of having and sticking to a process. There was an instance where Michael didn't stick to his normal process and things didn't go as planned. However, there were many lessons learned along the way.
0: It comes back to the only time we've ever not gone through our process. And I learned a very valuable lesson. It was our fifth deal and we lost $132,000 and we did not have that kind of liquidity to be losing that at that time. But again, I go back, I look at it, it worked out super beneficial. So essentially, uh, there was a bunch of miscommunication up front. things didn't go on paper about who was funding what. Then we had a GC committed who turns out he was wrong, couldn't do the job. And essentially we were trying to take a ranch and we were trying to convert it to add a level because I heard uh, a guest on the bigger pockets podcast and that sounded really cool. So why not do it? Well, stupid. And then we bought it on the market. I knew the CMA wasn't good, but I still went forward because the guy who was going to fund the deal said it was a good deal. My attorney said there's not enough meat on the bone. I didn't listen to her. That was a mistake. And then the CMA was hyperinflated on the exit. We sold, I still think we left too much money out there. And then we over-rehabbed it on top of that. You know, we built this Taj Mahal that we could have saved 80 grand on construction and probably only sold it for 20 grand less. So mistakes were made all around. But what it taught me was, it taught me how to oversee a project because I had to get involved because no one else was going to do the work now. Um, It taught me how to really crystallize and clearly communicate every part of a process. It taught me to stay in my lane and look at things through the lens of that. I understand a real estate. I'm a value add multifamily investor. I'm a um, operator in terms of running my own numbers and not trusting other people. And that really kind of solidified that. So did it hurt at the time? Absolutely. I mean, I had just left my job. We were trying to do this full time. Looking back, I don't even know how the hell we figured it out, to be honest. But- I mean, I could, I could go on that story. I remember being in a steakhouse and we were trying to do that, that portfolio loan I mentioned earlier. It screwed us really bad because that lender went underwater. They didn't tell us that commercial department was in trouble. So we were at the closing table for a 30 unit we now own, but we were going to buy it ourselves at the time. We now own it with a partner, um, the guy we were buying it from. And they pulled the loan because the commercial department closed. And then they had all of our equity tied up. So we couldn't even get that out. So I had to break out into more expensive debt on my. I mean, the whole thing, this thing took years to correct, but we just kept pushing through. It's funny, I look back on now and laugh. I remember going through it, it wasn't funny. But we just pushed through it and pushed through it and pushed through it and pushed through it. And I mean, I remember it got so crazy breaking up that portfolio loan that we had to overfund. We actually had to come up with another 40 grand to overfund the payoffs and then hope the other lender would still perform. Cause if they didn't, I was out another 40 grand and I had to fight with that. I mean, it was, it was insanity, but we got through it. We got through it and here we are. You know what I mean? It goes back to that grit and just thinking logically and pushing through.
1: Michael's portfolio is constantly growing. Though this is a clear indicator of the success he's achieved. His definition of success is reflected in the flexibility he has to live life on his own terms.
0: The way I would define success, um, I, I think we're all very successful. And I think that this kind of ties into what's very important. We've been in a fortunate position as we're growing. As I mentioned, you know, we're right around 150 doors now. We've also got four Airbnbs that we own and operate. Um, we've got a bunch of flips and we've got a couple more deals on the contract where there's a chance um, by the end of this year, we could be closing in on 250 to 300 doors. Um, we've got to see how a couple things shake out. And, but back to that success question, I think that's very important. And this is something that I I really stress to people, when we first went full time with this, because we had our expenses so in check, because we're doing a house hack with our primary residence, um, we took a slight pay cut, you know, the first year. I mean, now obviously you get the tax benefits of real estate, so you didn't really, but if you looked at what you were, you you know, earning, you did take a pay cut. I was happy then. I mean, I was, I'm living life when I want, you know, my first goal was I didn't want to set an alarm clock. I wanted to wake up organically. I wanted to see my wife more. I didn't want her driving to Boston back and forth every day. We did that. So now all of this has kind of already been the cherry on top, and I think it really gives us a lot of clarity um, to allow us to move with confidence. Because, yeah, you know, we've now tripled, you know, almost quadrupled what we're taking an owner's draw. But if I had to go all the way back now, I haven't had that lifestyle creep because I'm buying assets, not liabilities. That we have so much flexibility that we could take a 70% pay cut as an owner. My bills are still paid. I'm still traveling. I'm still living life on my terms. And I can't stress that enough is that that's why I think it's funny. Sometimes on social media, you'll see a lot of the, the, what I call the IG success. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard not to have FOMO, but you know, the grant card of the world, you know, they're putting out all this nonsense about, yeah, you need eight Bentleys. And you know, I mean, could you get that? Yeah, I guess. But, I've been in the room with guys now who are worth a quarter of a billion dollars and they, they're not doing that. Um, it's time, man. It's about time, 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 time. At least for us, it was. And money is such a weak motivator. I've, I've made more money this year alone than I ever thought in my life as a kid I ever would. And all I really want to do is hang on my wife, watch football, have a cigar and whiskey. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's As you get money, you start to realize it's a very weak motivator. So that I hope that was you know kind of a good view into where we're at and that's Every decision we're making as a business owner is through the lens of how quick can I, you know, pass this off to my team. So we call it the 5%. I'm trying to get to a point where I'm only involved in the top 5% of decisions. And I'm 36 now. I turned 37 in December. By the time I'm 40, uh, we have two goals, uh, Matt, Hannah, and I. um, We want to be right around six figures a month apiece for passive income. Um, Just pick that number because I think it's a big goal to shoot at don't really care if we land around it or not. And most importantly, I want to be out of the day-to-day. We're actually designing the business now. So essentially in the middle of every month, we'll get a monthly report. We'll give our insight. And now we have the team members today that we believe can kind of run the business and kind of continue to grow this for the foreseeable future. That's kind of where we're going to.
1: Michael and his partners have lofty goals for the future of their business. Through real estate, they plan on increasing their passive income, giving back to others and empowering others by teaching them financial comprehension.
0: It's funny, I don't get asked that a lot and we've got some pretty ambitious ones, but I think it kind of ties back to my upbringing um, and also my previous role in education. I, I don't think I realized how much I appreciated being in and around, uh, you know, young people and helping out until I, I got to this point. Um, so I mentioned the, the, the 100K passive. It's a big number. It sounds crazy. Part of the reason with that is what we do now. So now, whenever we do a deal, um, we, had, we started something called the Commonwealth Collective Community Fund. Totally made it up just for the, for the business because we wanted to give back with every deal. And it feels, anybody who has never given back I can't explain the euphoric feeling you get, even if it's a small thing, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but the feeling you get when you realize that that money is going to have a true impact. Um, so what we like to do is really expand upon that. Uh, we've got some big ambitious goals. I'm really big on um, financial literacy and what we're really trying to coin is we're pushing this is we don't even want to be financially literate anymore. We want to push financial comprehension. We're starting to talk about that more because financial literacy means you can read. Okay. Financial comprehension means you understand and you're making it actionable. So what I'd really like to do is as the business kind of transitions out of the day to day is really teach and 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 kind of, you know, I'm a big believer in, I'm, I'm a big capitalist at heart, but the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is exposure. And I even look at the stuff that I take advantage of now that if I had just been exposed to it sooner, people are going to be people. There's, you know, not everyone's going to be a millionaire because their actions they're not but i don't think we get exposed to this stuff enough to be in that position to be successful
1: michael understands the importance of financial education he wants to support an initiative to promote financial comprehension among more people according to him technology is the key to reaching a wider audience
0: i think And this ties back into education. I think there's an opportunity. Uh, Anybody who wants a billion dollar idea, here you go. I just want to write you a check and help out. I don't want to do it. Um, Technology is a game changer. And one of the reasons, another reason I got out of education and COVID kind of brought it to the forefront, but I think it was coming the way I told everybody, is people go through day-to-day making assumptions. And a lot of times these assumptions are incorrect. And education as a whole is changing. When the public wakes up like they did with COVID and they see how much money goes into education and how inefficient that space is Inefficiencies is an opportunity and that's in every industry okay i believe you're going to now have the ability like we're doing right now think about this right you can have a premier instructor one premier instructor previously that premier instructor could only teach 30 kids a period five periods a day 150 kids now premier instructor can teach unlimited people in real time using technology so now we want to find a way to build or be involved with a financial comprehension, financial literacy institute that is teaching little things, budgeting, personal finance, critical thinking, um, you know, beyond the, the generic academic skills, but, but the tax code, you know, think, think about just taxes in particular. I'm a real estate professional. I have not had to pay taxes, income taxes, uh, and income tax. I don't think we clarify that enough because people think taxes, no. We still pay property tax, everything else, but we don't have to pay income tax because of things like cost segregation and bonus depreciation and real estate professional status. Do you know how many people don't understand that? How many people don't know that? And then they get outraged, they get mad, and they get they blame the person who's taking advantage of the code rather than getting educated to take advantage of the very code themselves. And that's where I go back to. You know, we can teach this to hundred people. Well, out of those 100 people, probably only 10 will take advantage of it, but I can live with that because at least the other 90 can't say they didn't know about it. And that's where I go back to that exposure piece. Just because you know how to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. But I think we should all at least know about it and level the playing field. You get what I'm saying? You can't control where you stop, but you can't control where you're
1: So many people are afraid to bet on themselves, but investors like Michael understand that that's a critical step to take on the path to achieving your goals
0: bet on yourself. I mean, I, I, I use it all the time. I push it on social media. We, we preach it on the podcast. I don't think people quite understand what I mean by that. And and to be crystal clear is you have to make a mental shift. You have to envision what you want, whether it's writing it down as your process, whether you're, you someone like my wife, for example, write it down me. I'm obsessive. I just think about things to the point at, at nausea, man, all my friends get annoyed Cause I, when I get excited about something, everybody knows about it. Um, But betting on yourself is taking actionable steps, not perfect action. Nothing is ever going to be perfect, but it's the commitment to start doing. And you will be amazed at how quickly that compounds and how quickly things you thought were unobtainable become obtainable just by making that shift and believing, truly believing in yourself to take action and go do something. We learn more from adversity and failure than we ever learn from success. You know, I can sit here and talk to you about the deals we've done. And that's great. And that's warm and fuzzy. But I can tell you about the only deal we ever lost money on. And I can go through the minutia line by line and all the lessons we learned. We learn from adversity. I'm a big believer in struggle is real. And and it's a real good teacher. And then what you do and how you respond to that struggle goes back to that bet on yourself mentality. Are you going to sit there? Are you going to play the victim? Are you going to wait for somebody else to show up and tell you what to do? Are you going to cut the shit and get after it yourself and take control of it and take that total accountability and believe in yourself and embody yourself?
1: If someone wants to learn more about Michael, his resources, or just wants to follow him on his journey, here's how to do it.
0: Check me out on Instagram or Twitter at mketchen. Um, Also, uh, our podcast is called Tell Us Why. Uh, We really are trying to reach out to anybody uh, in the entrepreneurial financial freedom space. We've got an episode dropping today. Uh, We drop every Wednesday and we just kind of want to connect. We did some live webinars and things like that. We're just really trying to preach everything we talked about here. So yeah, tell us why is the podcast and Instagram is the best place at M Ketchen. That's M-K-E-T-C-H-E-N.
1: Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys.